Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. There are really two approaches to Wessex. One, the traditional Buddhist festival that is celebrated each year in every Buddhist society. And another, the inner esoteric dimension, which is documented in the Ageless Wisdom. The focus of the esoteric view of Vaisak is on the return of the Buddha each year, as he has for many centuries, bringing the force of Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known, to the assembled hierarchy of masters, adepts, initiates, and disciples who gather in a remote mountain valley in Tibet. This annual festival is deeply anchored in Tibetan culture, But increasingly in the past century, it's gained recognition in the West as well, as the inner esoteric significance of Wasek has become better known. There are two relationships that are highlighted at Wasek. One is its link with the following full moon of Gemini, which is the festival of goodwill and the supreme act of cooperation between the two world teachers, the Buddha and his brother, as Alice Bailey calls him, his brother, the Christ, over the period spanning the full moons of Taurus and Gemini. At this moment each year, Alice Bailey says, two great streams of energy, one focused through the Buddha and the other focused through the Christ, are to be fused and blended, and it's the task of the world disciples the initiates, and the accepted disciples to precipitate this combined energy on the waiting world where its effective use will be largely dependent on the sensitive response of the world's aspirants. These are to be found in every country, she said, and their task is to react to the stream of directed energy. The success or failure she says, lies largely in the hands of the new group of world servers. Her description of the festival in the Tibetan Valley says that as the exact moment of the full moon approaches, the Buddha appears in his energy body above a great rock in the northeastern end of the valley in Tibet, bathed in light and color, with his hand extended in blessing to the world. Then the Christ sounds a great invocation, she says, as the entire group of people in the valley fall upon their faces. It marks the supreme moment of intensive spiritual effort throughout the entire year and the spiritual vitalization of humanity and the spiritual effects last throughout the succeeding months. This, the effect of this great invocation, Alice Bailey wrote, is universal or cosmic 
and serves to link up with the cosmic center of spiritual force from which all created beings have come. The blessing is poured forth and the Christ as representative of humanity receives it in trust for distribution at the Festival of Gemini. This description, which I've just read to you, is published in a booklet written by Alice Bailey. If you don't have it, please take a copy with you when you leave. It's on the table at the entrance to this room. It's also, I think, available on our website. Alice Bailey's experience of this festival was in a dream state. But every aspirant and every disciple throughout the world can participate in meditation using the creative imagination as part of a great channel of energy flow. So let us take a moment to silently center ourselves as a group in this building stream of spiritual energy and then say together the great invocation. Those of you who might not know it will find it on the reverse side of the meditation formula, which is on your chair. As we link up, let's remember that we are working with co-workers, aspirants, disciples, initiates, adepts, and the masters as part of a gigantic group effort. from the point of light within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Vesak is a festival of light. For the Buddha's very title means the enlightened one. After he achieved his enlightenment, people weren't sure who or what he was. They suspected he might be a god or a sorcerer. But when he was asked, he defined himself simply as one who woke up. I am awake, he said. But what caused him to wake up? The Buddha was very much a product of his time, an age which in many ways was similar to the one we live in now. The period in history, which ran approximately from 900 to 200 BC or BCE, is known as the Axial Age, a period well documented by the religious scholar Karen Armstrong. Axial is a good word to describe this pivotal period in the spiritual evolution of humanity, which affected societies in four particular and specific regions of the world, China, India, Greece, and the Middle East region around Israel and Palestine. Those four specific regions were most affected and uh, part of the Axial Age. The Axial Age was a period of tremendous upheaval and questioning, perhaps best exemplified by that supreme questioner, Socrates. It was a period when human minds were awakening and beginning to think more freely and feeling con increasingly constrained and constricted by traditional religions and magical rites and ceremonies, which were the custom of religious practice up until then, and it was these that the Buddha rebelled against. He particularly wanted to discover a method of liberation which would draw upon the powers innate in the human psyche, rather than depending upon rites and rituals of the traditional religion of his time. For those caused men to believe that the power to salvage their lives lay outside themselves in gods and spirits and forces which were mysterious, beyond their control, and only possibly placated through various rites of sacrifice. The Buddha believed that it was essential to question everything and to test every spiritual teaching against one's own inner and innate sense of truth. We have Blavatsky's famous statement from the Secret Doctrine that sums up so beautifully the Buddha's recognition of the innate wisdom that lies within every sincere spiritual aspirant. She said, The Lord Buddha has said that we must not believe in a thing merely because it is said, nor traditions because they've been handed down from antiquity, nor rumors as such nor writings by sages, because sages wrote them, nor fancies that we may suspect to have been inspired in us by a deva, nor from inferences drawn from some haphazard assumption we might have made, nor on the mere authority of our teachers or masters. But we are to believe when the writing, doctrine, or saying is corroborated by our own reason and consciousness. For this 
says he in concluding, I taught you not to to believe merely because you have heard. But when you believed in your consciousness, then to act accordingly and abundantly. Well, that all sounds well and good, but if you really think about it and about its implications, what the Buddha recommended is the long and hard route to spiritual liberation, far more difficult than the path of ceremonial rites faithfully performed. For it required one to think deeply and clearly about one's beliefs and values. But the Buddha knew human potential was up to it. As it was said of his brother the Christ, he knew what was in man. The Buddha's final words to his beloved disciple Ananda were, Those who either now or after I am dead shall be lamps unto themselves, relying upon themselves only and not relying upon any external help, but holding fast to the truth as their lamp and seeking their salvation in the truth alone and shall not look for assistance to anyone besides themselves, it is they, Ananda, who shall reach the very topmost height, but they must be anxious to learn. Together, the message of the Buddha and the Christ affirmed the dignity of the human spirit. And thus, the supreme challenge that they laid down to men, be a lamp unto yourselves, work out your salvation with diligence, the Buddha commanded. He prepared the way for the Christ, who assured men that they were all sons of God, in the same sense that Christ was and that love and service are the path of liberation. The difficulty of their messages is seen in the fact that we still don't seem to understand how to achieve right human relations, and we still look everywhere outside ourselves for rescue, to wealth and material achievements, to personal acclaim and recognition, to dominance of the self above all others, to avenging all offenses, and endlessly seeking to redress some real or imaginary imbalance, so that somehow, someday, we will come out on top. That's the path of experience of one who clings to an individual reality, to a separate identity. The Buddha knew this was a complete glamour, a distortion of reality. As Helena Rorick put it in her beautiful book, Foundations of Buddhism, Buddha taught that in the whole universe only correlatives exist, that nothing exists without cooperation. Thus, it's not only wrong, but it makes no sense to live for selfish purposes if one wants to be happy. Self-affirmation is the cause of all sorrow, the Buddha said, for all is interrelated, correlative, a part of a great wholeness. Nothing exists without cooperation, Rorik said. In the whole universe, only correlatives exist. The selfish and conceited one could not build for the future because by cosmic law, 
he would be outside the current of life, which carries all that exists toward perfection. This is the source of the Buddha's teaching on the middle way, the need to chart a course which cleaves to neither of the pairs of opposites, but points the way to a path of reconciliation. The cause of glamour is found in the sense of duality, the pairs of opposites, the perception of the dual nature of manifestation lies at the very root of humanity's troubles. But the source of the problem lies in perception, in consciousness, not in matter itself. Light in reality is the spark of divinity that exists within every atom of matter. So it's entirely fitting that the Buddha was born on the full moon of Taurus achieved his enlightenment in Taurus, and died on the full moon of Taurus. Taurus is what astrologers call an earth sign, and the Buddha, when he achieved his enlightenment, his liberating insight into the nature and purpose of life on earth, touched his hand to the earth in a sign of validation. The power to use the light, to wield it as a beam of energy, directed or channeled toward a path of future unfoldment is a powerful tool of liberation. But the light which exists in all substance and therefore within every human being must be focused and one-pointed. The disciple, in a sense, has to become the bull, symbolic of Taurus, rushing forward upon a straight line with its one eye fixed upon the goal and beaming light, not for the purpose of self-illumination, but to bring the vision to humanity. That's why the new group of world servers is ruled by Taurus. The onward rush of the bull of God, his one eye streaming light, reveals steadily and without cessation the stupendous and sublime plan of deity. This is the subject which light reveals, Alice Bailey wrote. Where this plan is leading is not clear, not to human minds, but it's in process of revealing the light which exists at the heart of every atom of substance. And this is what the Buddha woke up to that night long ago in ancient India. He experienced it as a light that liberates and that rescues from pain. And because he knew firsthand that the same light exists within every human being, he spent the rest of his life teaching everyone who would listen about the need to rely upon this light to make their own way. Self-reliance in sustained effort is the essence of the Buddha's message. But at the same time, because everything is correlative, part of a larger wholeness, self-affirmation is the cause of all sorrow. Self-reliance is good. Self-affirmation causes pain, the Buddha said. As an indication of the point humanity has presently reached in evolution, it's increasingly affirmed that, as the telephone company tells us, we're all connected. Yet the cult of celebrity and materialism 
continue to be powerful motivating factors of human desire. We've clearly really reached a new axial age, a point of division, a pivotal point regarding our future goals and values. This is affirmed by the Ageless Wisdom, for the writings of Alice Bailey say that great decisions have to be made all over the world at this particular age, a transition period between an old age and a new. Great decisions have to be made as to whether humanity moves forward into a new age of cooperation and of right human relations, or whether the materialistic groups will reassert their control and succeed in winning the day. This great cleavage is now in process of settlement, she said. The importance of this decisive moment affects not just humanity, but extends, we're told, even up to the planetary logos, the Lord of the world. The judgment referred to has relation to a mysterious process which is going on in the thinking of the planetary logos, she said. One question this great logos, this great being, must address is how much increased spiritual potency humanity can take. Because the buildup of spiritual energies leading to the externalization of the hierarchy and the return of the Christ to active presence on earth is mobilizing forces that have terrific potency. Is humanity strong enough, aligned enough to bear it? Is the planet's energy body, its etheric body, resilient enough? These are questions we can't answer, but we can help to establish the conditions that will strengthen humanity's receptivity, its right response to these imploring energies. Group meditation can help to sustain the work of all servers who labor for enlightenment, who place truth above all else. For as Blavatsky reminded us, there is no religion higher than truth. As we remember, the Buddha realized that the cause of human suffering and glamour lies mainly in perception, wrong desire, and incorrect thinking. At Waisak, powerful energies are released which are called the forces of enlightenment. They emanate from the heart of God and they affect the great educational movements, the international forums and conferences, the mass communications media, all the fields that deal with the upliftment of consciousness and which have brought humanity to a stage in development where it can participate increasingly with more awareness in the decisions that will determine the coming age. The rightness of these choices depends on the awakening of receptive human minds everywhere. And we can see the competing forces at work today in the battle for the public mind, so to speak. This may be why the mass media are so powerful and why they are so feared by some. For technology now allows the media to have access to human minds and human solar plexuses, not plexi, I looked it up, 
human solar plexuses everywhere, giving valuable information to us, but also sowing fear and division. Focused, determined, enlightened public opinion is the most potent force in the world, Alice Bailey said. It has no equal, but it has been little used. The necessary decisions which humanity must make cannot be imposed. That would violate spiritual law. They must be chosen by the willing consent of informed human minds, generating the power of public opinion. And this is why the sustained effort of those committed to human liberation is the seed of synthesis. All efforts to think in terms of the good of the whole, the common welfare, rather than the clan, the tribe, or the separated self, help to bind up the separated fragments of our world. We are entering an age when world salvage will be the responsibility of humanity as a whole, rather than dependent upon the intervention of a few enlightened beings. And this makes it absolutely essential that the mass consciousness be uplifted, inspired by a vision of the vast network of interrelationships that bind us all together. And it validates the Buddha's conviction that every spiritual seeker holds the key to his own liberation. For no one dwells outside the stream of life-sustaining energy Everyone and everything is an intrinsic part of that great stream, could they but know it. In our group meditation tonight, we can help to generate a focused group appeal which will prepare human consciousness for the inflow of these potent spiritual energies. We remember that we work not alone in this room, but with co-workers, fellow meditators, literally throughout the world in an effort that has been sustained by human beings at least over the past century and sustained by such great beings as the Buddha and the Christ for some 2,500 years. We can be part of such a great endeavor that, as Alice Bailey described it, it will reach those lives who brood over humanity and our civilization and who work through the masters of the wisdom and the assembled hierarchy. This group endeavor, she said, will call forth from them a responsive magnetic impulse which will bring together the overshadowing beneficent forces. Through the concentrated effort of these groups in the world today, who subjectively constitute one united group, light and inspiration and spiritual revelation can be released in such a flood of power that it will work definite changes in the human consciousness and ameliorate conditions in the needy world. It will open men's eyes, she said, to the basic realities, which are as yet only dimly sensed by the thinking public. Then humanity itself will apply the necessary correctives believing that it can do so in the strength of its own sensed wisdom and strength. Yet all the time behind the scenes stand 
the grouped world aspirants working silently in unison with each other and the hierarchy, and thus keeping the channel open through which the needed wisdom, strength, and love can flow. This can seem a daunting challenge, and it is, if it were approached from an individual perspective, but that would only place one outside the stream of energy flow that is released at this high point each year. Year after year, century after century, the Buddha has returned to humanity at Vesak, bringing the touch of Shambhala, the pure energy of the spiritual will, which is the will to good of the whole. His sustained effort on behalf of humanity and the, <clears throat> the Christ-sustaining love for humanity say everything about their faith in humanity's capacity to liberate itself from glamour if we are willing to make the effort and if we are willing to learn. So let us ponder on the sustained effort, which is the seed of synthesis, the force which binds together that which has been separated. Let us look briefly at our meditation so that we understand the progression of our group work now. This follows the practice called Raja Yoga, the science of the mind, we begin with group fusion, which is an affirmation said aloud, uniting our group here with the new group of world servers, the subjective network of all who work on behalf of the plan, and the group which mediates between hierarchy and humanity. Then, using our visualization powers, we imagine in consciousness our alignment using a line of lighted energy which we visualize projecting towards the hierarchy of the planet, the heart center, and towards the ashram of Sanat Kumara, the planetary logos, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy, and the Buddha, representative of Shambhala, who returns at Vesa. In the higher interlude, we hold the contemplative mind open simply open and responsive to the extraplanetary energies pouring in from Shambhala and radiated into our world through hierarchy. And we see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, hierarchy, and humanity, as an active triangle coming into alignment and interplay. Then in the stage of meditation, <clears throat> we reflect on and develop according to our understanding our keynote or seed thought. Let sustained effort be the seed of synthesis, the force which binds together that which has been separated. Following that meditation, we again use the imagination, the creative imagination to visualize the love pouring throughout the world, through all kingdoms, through all levels of our planetary life, from the very highest levels to the densest levels of the mineral kingdom. Light and love pour throughout the world. Then, in the lower interlude, we recenter our consciousness 
as a group within the periphery of the great ashram and sound aloud the affirmation of love, followed by a visualization of the downpouring energies from Shambhala streaming into the prepared channel created by all meditators and members of the new group of world servers. And we develop our understanding of how this is creating a pathway of light, so to speak, for the feet of the Christ, the coming world teacher. And finally, we distribute, we release the spiritual energies invoked in our group meditation through the sounding together of the great invocation, visualizing light and love and power radiating throughout the world via the five planetary inlets, the receptive entry points, so to speak, for spiritual energy, the cities of London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, and Tokyo. And we see these energies lifting and inspiring the consciousness of the whole of humanity as we sound the great invocation. So I will mention each stage as we come to it so that we can work in alignment. Letting in the light. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and lead them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage. We make our alignment.
the higher energy.
meditation, seek God. Let sustained effort be the seat of synthesis, the force which binds together that which has been separated.
precipitation. There's no worry to it. We center in the consciousness. We sound the affirmation. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves. Will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world.
from the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. Do remember that the uh, moment of the Taurus full moon is tomorrow morning at 8.20 Eastern Daylight Time, and that this weekend our annual Arcane School Conference in this room will be held May 1st and 2nd, and finally that the Christ Festival, which completes the work of the Buddha and the Christ, is Thursday, May 27th at 7 p.m. in this room or somewhere in this building.
thank you. And shall we leave as quietly as possible to hold the beautiful tension that's been generated through our work tonight? And good night. AC is blowing hot air, let O'Reilly Auto Parts help bring back the cool this summer. While you may need to eventually service your AC unit, get immediate relief with Interdynamics Arctic Freeze R134A refrigerant with leak sealer for $32.99. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.